Welcome to The Art of Discernment, a podcast where professors from across the Master's University discuss current events and higher education from a biblical worldview. Hello, I'm Dr. Bob Dixon, Chair of the Communication Department here at the Master's University. And today I'm with Dr. Greg Gifford for a discussion on habits, more specifically, the relationship between our habits and our heart. How does our heart influence our habits, and how do our habits impact our heart? Now, Greg is just the man to help us answer these questions. He is an assistant professor of biblical counseling, and he is the author of Heart and Habits, How We Change for Good. The book is published by Crest Biblical Resources and is now available on Amazon. Greg, thanks for joining me today. Glad to be here. Now, as we get going, I don't want to assume anything. So uh, in your title, Heart and Habits... I have a good idea of what you mean by habits, but what do you mean when you say heart? Good. Yeah, I think that's the starting point is we have to be able to include both, first of all. A lot of times we'll just focus on habits, and maybe it's New Year's, maybe it's health, maybe it's nutrition, finances, whatever we want to change is our habits. But we don't always look at the heart. Yet biblically, our habits flow out of our heart. So when we when we talk about heart, don't think just like the organ of your heart. Think of the inner man heart, the way the Bible represents your heart. And so on the cover of the book, you'll see that there's an arrow coming from your heart, that your habits are an overflow of your heart, that they are indicative of what's happening in your heart. So when we say heart, we are referring to the inner man, the inner person, the totality of who you are. Proverbs 4 would say that it's that source of of life for you. So for the Christian, what is the specific relationship between the heart and our habits. So for the Christian, this is somewhat how I stumbled into this project because I I very much enjoy uh, the study of, okay, efficiency, the study of those that are managing time, the study of those that kind of have like successful mindsets, thought lives, things like that. And I thought, well, each time I studied them, there wasn't a biblical undertone. So I would read it, mm. and it would be something like efficiency as the end game, and it would be something like productivity as the end game. But it didn't help me as a Christian figure out, okay, how do my heart and my habits go together, and do they go together? So when I started this project, this was six years ago, I was fascinated with the habit aspect, but then I began to study how your habits are an overflow of your heart, but then your heart is also influenced by your habits. So for the Christian, the way that that works for us is that our heart is changed at the moment of our salvation. So we want to do different things. We want what God wants. He has changed our inner person. So we do different things. We are obedient, and we do that frequently and regularly. And that frequent, regular obedience is used by God to also change what we want and solidify what we want and to further clarify God's will in our heart based off of our obedience to him. And so there's times when you don't want to be obedient, but you know you should be because that's what God's called you to do. Right. God uses that faith-filled moment to help change your heart and solidify that change in your heart. So when I say how we change for good, it is solidifying that heart change, which then will solidify the habit change and so forth. So yeah, the absence of, of the heart as the motive, you're just talking about behaviorism then. Right. Yeah, right. Behavior modification is a dangerous necessity because if if we're like every other book on habits, we just talk about the behaviors that got to change and then we jump into finances, time management, sleep habits, 
communication habits. We begin to talk about all those things. But as a Christian, we know that it's bigger than that. So we have to address what are we motivated by? Why are we developing habits in the first place? And we're talking about, you know, as Christians and for Christians, but I would assume this has application for everybody. Talk a bit about that. You know, for, the, for someone who isn't a Christian, does this also apply, the heart-to-habit relationship? Hmm. It does. Let me give you a practical example. Uh, think of a parent or a grandparent. They're parenting or grandparenting toward moral behavior. But their child, their child may not actually be a follower of Jesus, and yet they're still helping them cultivate habits that promote human flourishing. If we're teaching our children to take their dish and to put it in the dishwasher, or we're, we're teaching our grandchildren to say please or thank you, that's a great example where they're learning a habit, but they may not be a Christian, and they may not become a Christian, yet it's still important for them to learn to say please and thank you. It's still important for them to learn to clean up after themselves. So that habits, they're not going to give you a new heart. We recognize that. Biblically, that only comes through regeneration of the Holy Spirit. But yet, you can have moral habits that promote human flourishing. So just being an organized, clean person is going to affect your coworkers. When they go to borrow the work van after you, they're going to be thankful that you're a clean and yes, organized person. Yes, they are. <laughs> and it, it may not advance their sanctification, Maybe there is no sanctification in their life, but it will promote human flourishing for them. And so one of the things that I say is an effect of our habits is, yes, that we want to advance Christ-likeness in another person, but at times we're just advancing human flourishing, that I don't litter simply because I don't want to crowd the streets of Santa Clarita with trash, not because I think people are going to be saved or come to Jesus through me not littering. Right. So I can only imagine this relationship between the heart and and the, the habits that populate our day. I can't imagine this doesn't come up a lot in the realm of biblical counseling. You know, talk, talk, sure. a, talk about where those two things intersect. Sure. You know, it was 2017 when Dr. MacArthur was teaching in chapel, and he said, biblical counseling is really just helping people form new habits. And I thought to myself, you know, he, there's a lot to that. There's a lot of truth to what he just said. There's nothing magical at times about what a biblical counselor is asking a person to do. We're helping you develop habits, the habit of going to church. I mean, that we may not think about that as a habit, but the scripture calls that a habit or neglecting to do so mm-hmm. would be a habit in and of itself. The habit of scripture reading. At times we just assume that a person knows to be engaged in reading the Bible, but you would be surprised how many times a person is just not. There's just no engagement of God's word. And especially as a a person is in the secular world, they're not connected to a master's type of institution. uh, That has significant effects. So a biblical counselor is going to get you in the Word. A biblical counselor is going to get you memorizing the Word and meditating on it and then applying the Word. And those are all habits that we develop. So there's a sense in which Dr. MacArthur, he said it in a very clear way to where it's like, yeah, a lot of times we're helping you develop habits. And those habits aren't totally otherworldly. It's very straightforward. We're trying to get you into the Word. We're trying to get you into fellowship. We're trying to get you into practicing what the Word says. And what I find fascinating too is uh, those habits are an integral part just of spiritual formation. So you could take that out of biblical counseling land and just put it in spiritual formation and maturity with a person. If they're not engaging in the Word, they're not going to be growing. I mean, if they're not engaging in the local church, they're not going to be growing. If they're not engaging in giving some portion of their income to a church, 
they're not going to be growing. Like those are just important parts of our spiritual maturity overall. An example of how this affects counseling would be between a husband and a wife. You know, at, at times there is an impasse that has occurred. There's no warm and fuzzies, unfortunately. There's no giddiness, you know, that there's mm. kind of this stalemate that is happening. And the husband isn't loving his wife as scripture's called him to, and the wife isn't respecting her husband as scripture's called her to do. So there's no affection and there's no warmth in that marriage. And in that moment, heart and habits is extraordinarily important because God is not going to magically zap my heart completely disconnected of what I'm doing. That no, rather what God does is he uses your frequent practices of obedience to change your affections for your spouse. So let me let me go back to the husband. So for the husband, how does he grow in warmth and affection and excitement for his wife that maybe he's struggling right now to experience those? Well, he needs to start to, by faith and with the help of God's Spirit, be obedient to love her and Mm -hmm. to do good to her. Practical actions, bringing her tea, helping put the dishes away, that he doesn't park in her spot. He takes her car to get a car wash. Those things that, that may not be immediately exciting for him, God uses to help change his heart toward her and vice versa for the wife. That stalemate isn't going to go away by a magic lightning bolt striking the couple. It's that through spirit-filled obedience, God will change your heart through those frequent practices, through those habits. So what does the husband need to do? He needs to go and be obedient in a regular way and just watch how God uses those habits to change his heart toward his wife. That's great. Just understanding that you're talking about of the habits that we form they create tangible results in our lives for good or for or for bad. Yeah, right. Exactly. I can think of things as a dad and, you know, where I want to eliminate habits from my children and, and establish <laughs> habits, you know, which is, which is easier, which is harder. <laughs> if you think, so think of it, the knife cuts both ways with habit formation because the things that we habitually do can form godly character in us, patience, humility, compassion. But the things that we habitually do can also deform godly character in us to where we're actually being hardened into poor character or maybe even immoral character or ungodly character. So it's like that function is going to run. It just depends on how we're going to direct it with God's help. Do you find that Christians are more likely to overemphasize or underemphasize the the role the habits play in their sanctification? Oh man, great question. Okay. I there is a sense in which it scares us to talk about habits hmm. and spiritual disciplines because it kind of smacks of legalism and behaviorism. And so it's like, hey, man, like, don't get in my face about needing to read the scripture every day. <laughs> you know, like, I'm in Christ. I, I have grace, you know. Uh, so there is that side to where it's like, hey, when we just talk about habits, there is a sense of like, hey, don't, you don't got to push that. You know, I'll do it when I feel like it, or I don't want to be disingenuine. It would be phony of me to wake up first thing and begin to study my word. I, I don't feel like doing that. So that talk about habits, it just, it has this natural recoil of, well, we don't want to be behaviorists and we don't want to be legalists. So we can't set up all of these habits. So there's a hesitancy there. And there's a hesitancy for those that just want to focus on the heart to kind of get down in the weeds of, practical things that you need to do differently. So I had a professor in my doctoral studies, and he said, you know what? I just tell people to do what would glorify God. 
Like you just figure out what would glorify God. And I'm like, man, more power to you. I love that. Yeah. But the problem is most of us don't know the answer of like what would glorify God in this instance. So we have to get down into the nuts and bolts of things that we have to do. So in our context, maybe I could even just say in my spheres, it seems like there is a great emphasis on heart, but maybe a poor emphasis on the the habits that we should be focusing on that are going to help cultivate heart change as well. Yeah, I guess you could confuse the habits with sanctification. The habits can result in that with the partnership of the Holy Spirit if the, if the habits are exactly. good. And, but if you just you slide into legalism, right? If you say, "Well, I'm doing these things, therefore, that's right, I'm I'm pleasing God." That's right. Well, no, and that gets to the advice you got from your professor. What would honor the Lord in this? That's right. Hmm. So it's, glorify the Lord. Yeah. But then there's also, I mean, I. I don't want to be a behaviorist, and I'm very aware of that. But then there's also the emphasis that if I'm just focusing on heart and I never get down into the weeds of things that I'm doing that are just really unhelpful or maybe even downright sinful, those aren't advancing sanctification. Mm -hmm. And I have to be able to say I can't do that and be wise at least, or I can't do that and um, expect that Christ is going to continue to work and to set me apart for his glory. Mm. And in your book, you provide a checklist, actually, for the process right. of developing habits. Can right. you give us a, just a brief overview of the steps that are involved? Yeah, so the intent with the checklist is that, first of all, when the reader sees the book, there's going to be two types of people. One is going to be the person that jumps in and they're like, tell me how to develop new habits. Go. <laughs> and I'm like, hey, there's the heart aspect. You really got to study the heart. Like, the, You got to go back and you got to get brushed up on why are we motivated to develop habits? What's the Holy Spirit's role in habit development? And then there's going to be the person that just wants to study the Holy Spirit's role in habit development and never wants to make it practical. <laughs> and that's where the checklist really comes in to okay. be helpful to where it's like, hey, you need to do certain things. And if you're thinking about changing habits, here's a starting point. So I try to give you a prioritization in this book of the spheres of habits. So what that means is that there are, there are different spheres that we all have in our life. I try to break it down to spiritual, towards you and God, personal, it's you family, you're going to have vocational, and then social. Those are your different spheres. But if you have fundamental breakdowns in your habit and your spiritual sphere, then you you need to start with some of those. So one of the things I did not want to do in this book was help people be more vocationally successful if they weren't involved in a local church. Mm -hmm. Because in scriptural prioritization, there's a bigger problem here. So you could be great, you could be thriving in your career, but if you're not connected to a local church, there's still a breakdown. So prioritize based off of that sphere. So the most fundamental spheres moving out to your social sphere. So start there. Where where are habits that I need to develop in these spheres? And then identify what those habits are. So the frequency goals for step three, I try to remind people that a habit can be something that happens once a week. It can be something that happens daily. But that compulsion to act has become a habit when we have frequently practiced it. So the English Puritans, modern writers, everybody has a different perspective of when it becomes a habit. Is it 60 days? Is it 90 days? Is it 71 days? Like everybody has a different perspective. Yeah. And the intent is that we just say, you practice it with regularity. And when you see that as the goal, then it doesn't become, now I'm at day 61, so this is good. It's that, no, I'm just going to be faithful to this task, and I'm going to seek to just be faithful to it. And if I if I miss today, I'm going to practice it tomorrow. That was the intent with number three. And then number four and five, those are, are very much connected. But community and environment, think of your community as 
encouragement. Think of it as accountability. Think of like, who are you sharing this goal with, this habit with, and how can they help facilitate you accomplishing that? And when it comes to leveraging your environment, I want people to know that they really do need to stop allowing certain things to continue to happen in their life that are coming through their environment. So a great example is I say in here, like maybe you need to cancel a Netflix subscription. Okay, like uh, Netflix is going to hate me for that illustration. (laughs) And and, and it may be something else in your life, but it's like, hey, what is it in your environment that you need to restructure that will facilitate accomplishing that habit? TV, food, reminders, certain hobbies that you're engaging in, that those things may be making it more difficult for you to develop this habit. Whereas if you can leverage your environment to cultivate habits, then we're going to do that. Let's do that. So I don't know if the, our listeners caught the steps. I've got an advantage. I've got them on a piece of paper in front of me. I'm just going to list them out so everybody can track along. Step one, prioritize according to the spheres of life that you mentioned. Step two, identify specific habits to develop. Step three, set frequency goals. You just talked about that. Step four, build community. Step five, leverage environment. And step six, practice. Right. So the practice sounds self-explanatory, but... That's probably the the toughest step. Put it into practice. Right. Yeah, right. I finished the book by saying, look, it would be a tragedy for us to talk about all of these habits that we could change and not to do anything differently. But (laughs) when you think of practice, habit development isn't that I have built Rome in one day. It's that incremental change. So when we talk about practice, we, we can't just say like, be perfect. No, it's just make these steps, these gradual changes to see habits change and, and growth take place in your life and do that incrementally. Pick something, pick that you're going to start working out. And so in, in the book, I say, you know, if, if you're going to start working out, then just start trying to wake up on time and then start trying to just make it out of the door in your exercise clothes, you know, like you're mm-hmm. just incrementally. So practice we're not building room in a day. We're just trying to be faithful and to start. And when I see it as faithfulness, then it doesn't have to change all overnight. It just means I'm going to start doing it. Yeah. Anytime you're trying to build a new habit, you're going to have fits and starts and you don't need the fits to discourage you more than exactly. is necessary. Exactly. I mean, you know, if I'm, if I'm trying to build a habit of exercising regularly, that's going to take me, that might take me, you said, you know, how long does it take? And maybe right. that, maybe it'll take me eight weeks to establish that habit. If I'm trying to build a habit of eating ice cream every day, I could probably establish that habit in about <laughs> a day. <laughs> you know? I already have that habit developed. So it's like, <laughs> no pressure for so, me. <laughs> yeah. That's great. That's really encouraging advice. Um, to, and, to but see, see some of that regularity as one of the things I try to say is faithfulness propels frequency. Sometimes we measure it based off of how many times that I do it, not am I being faithful today? And when I see it, it's, mm. it's really about me just being faithful to practice these things. So let's just talk about the habit of Bible reading. At times it's meant like, man, I haven't been in the Word, you know, it's been so bad. But it's like, okay, starting today, how can I be faithful to engage in the Word in a regular way? Maybe I'm driving on my commute and it's playing. Maybe I wake up and I have the, a chance to read five verses. Great. I'm just going to be faithful in that way. And I'm seeing it as an act of faithfulness. That way, if I skip tomorrow, I don't fall off the bandwagon altogether. I say, okay, well, the next day I'm going to get back on and I'm going to keep being faithful to engage in the word in a habitual, regular capacity. So now, Greg, you've given us kind of the A formula for for really kind of taking control of some of these areas in our lives that that can lead to powerful results, you know, um, 
going to go to the gym. I'm going to work out. I'm going to look better. You know, I'm going to get up early and, and go to work early every day. I'm going to get a promotion, you know, and all those, those are, those are fine. Those are good things. But we know here in this room and on this campus that there's, there's a much deeper motive behind setting these good habits. So forming good habits is going to be valuable and effective for Christians, non-Christians, but, but we understand there's more to it than that. For the Christian, there's a distinction, and that distinction is really everything. It's the most important thing. Talk a bit about that. Right. Yeah, good. I think that's what we all start with. Just the literature that's currently out there, it, it is those goals of self-improvement. Look better, be more successful, get more organized this year. Like you, you fill in the blank with what that looks like. And it's interesting because as a Christian, we know that those aren't our first goal, but they might actually be a goal. Mm-hmm. You know, this year I might say, I want to get fit or I, I want to be more organized or I want to grow in my vocational skills, but that's not my first goal. So one, one of the biggest differences, and this is where I, I try to start in the book as well, is to say, look, for the Christian, our identity informs our habits and our purpose in our life informs our habits. So our number one goal cannot be efficiency and productivity because there are actually things that sometimes it seems as if it's not the most efficient thing to do, but I know God wants me to do it. Let me give you an example. Sometimes I'm talking with a person and I'm getting every last detail of the circumstance. And in my mind, I'm just tempted to be like, Hey, I got it. Like, let's get to the point, you know, like right. I can move on to the next cup. Co- I can have more of these conversations with people. Like, just get to the point, man. <laughs> yeah. And yet I don't think that's what would bring God the most glory in that moment. It would be for me to listen carefully, to take an interest in what they're saying. So instead of me saying, hey, just get to the point so I can go accomplish more tasks, I'm doing my best to glorify God, first of all. So our, our first purpose in developing habits is that God would be glorified. And there are going to be times when I don't get to work out today or I didn't get to practice the additional vocational skills, but yet I still glorified God and I'm okay. That's good. So first is glorify God. Second is do good to others. Mm-hmm. So glorify God, do good to others. It's that our habits aren't about us ultimately, that I actually want to develop a habit of fitness so that I could be a better worker and manage stress easier, so that I could be a better father and play with my kids. That my goal of being physically fit isn't about me or shouldn't be about me ultimately. It should be about glorifying God and doing good to others. And then it should be about whatever my tertiary goal would be. So I I think we have freedom to say, you know what, we do wanna have financial skills on how to manage a budget and invest. I think we do want to have fitness skills, time management skills, and some of us really do need to grow in those, but those are tertiary goals. Mm -hmm. So we glorify God first, we do good to others, and then we seek to grow and to be more effective in those areas where we feel like we need to. That's great. That's really great. Now, is there a distinction between, say, sinful habits and habits that are just unhelpful? Totally. Totally. And I didn't want to be the guy that demonized everything, you know, that if you're not doing it, you're wrong type. Let me give you an example. I don't think it's sinful for a family to watch TV while they eat dinner. I don't think that's sinful. I don't think you can make a case from scripture where... Good, I feel better now already. <laughs> <laughs> is this what this is about? <laughs> We've all led to this moment here. <laughs> no, it's, um, there are certain things where like eating 
so in that example, if if I were to watch TV every night instead of eat a meal with my family and converse in that process, that's an unhelpful habit, but it, I would say it's not a sinful habit. And I may do that tonight. I may go home and we may watch a movie together and not have a dinner together. But if I do that over time and I do that long enough, then that unhelpful habit is going to bring about unhelpful results in my life. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm not saying sinful. I'm saying unhelpful because there's not a space for me to communicate with my wife or to communicate with my kids. So unhelpful is different from directly contradictory to God's word, where I do think there are also things that we can habitually do that are sinful habits, habits of speaking, habits of listening or not listening, habits of thinking, Mm -hmm. and that those can be almost second nature to us, and they are sinful, yes, but a lot of times it's not only a sinful habit, it's that at times we have unhelpful habits, things that we don't know or we're not even aware we're doing. They're, they're just not really, they're not helping us right now. So here's a tough one. If we see you know, a brother or sister in Christ who is engaged in what we would consider to be a, a bad habit, you know, was there a way, a, a way to, to approach that brother or sister? And does that change if we determine it's not just a bad habit, but it's a sinful one? Right. Let me give you maybe an example I have peers that their kids and my kids are similar ages and they're in club sports. So what club sports often bring is travel and then less time at church, you know, because you're out in different parts of California on the weekend. I think at that level, it's like we're, we are at an unhelpful habit. So what do I say in that? I don't say a whole lot, to be honest. You know, I, I don't want to be the Holy Spirit. I don't know if it's wise for us to engage people at the level of unhelpful habits if they're not seeking feedback. But if they were to say, hey, what do you think? We're going to be traveling three weeks out of every month and not able to make it to church. I would say, yeah, I don't I don't know if that's sustainable. I don't know if you should do that for a long season of life. But I'm not going to insert myself into that conversation. But at the moment that that same friend says, yeah, we're not going to come to church anymore. We're just going to kind of do our own thing, mm. study on our own time. Then as a friend, I would say, yeah, hey, we're now moving from unhelpful to actually a sinful habit. You're neglecting to gather together. So I'm going to insert myself in a loving and gracious way and just ask like, hey, how is that going to help in the long run? What do you think God would want you to do in this instance? How does Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 connect to that? You know, what are you thinking there? So I would say no for unhelpful. I don't want us to sabotage all of our friendships. Yeah. You know, <laughs> walking up with a board in our eye, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, where does it stop? You know? <laughs> so where, at what point do I get to be the one who chooses what's helpful and unhelpful? Well, Greg, this has been this has been outstanding. I'm I'm uh, you got me thinking already. You know what what habits can I cultivate today that would generate in my life the results I want tomorrow, and not and not just from a hey, what makes my life better perspective, but what's going to draw me closer to Christ? What's going to honor the Lord more and grow my family in Christ likeness more? And I hope that those of you who are listening to this are as encouraged as I am by this. Um, and and the book once again, it's. Heart and Habits, How We Change for Good by Dr. Greg Gifford. Again, you can pick this up at Amazon. And uh, if this conversation is any indication, I think everybody should get a copy of this. Um, Greg, thanks so much for coming in. Yes, thank you. Thank you for listening to The Art of Discernment. For more information on the Masters University, visit masters.edu. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We'll see you next time.